challenges. Today, I want to apply one of the Beatitudes to our families as we seek to learn again, how do we bring life? Most of us probably agree that families today are under a lot of stress in today's world. Some families are under conflict. Some families are under financial pressure. Some families are just under the everyday strain. Some people are dealing with health issues, but you would probably agree that there's not many families you run into that would say, man, I'm just blessed. Things are great. Life is going well. And so today we take another step towards learning how can we bring that to our home with God's help and God's power. Let me begin by asking you a question. Who in here has ever been robbed? Raise your hand. You ever been robbed? My goodness, just like first service, there was a ton of people who have been robbed or had something stolen from them. When I was 17 years old, went to basketball camp at Western Michigan University. They would allow us the first day of camp on Sunday afternoon to walk to a nearby a gas station where we could pick up some snacks and so forth for the week. But once camp started, they kept us so busy, we weren't allowed to leave campus. So my roommate and I decided, well, let's go. It was about 9 o'clock at night. Let's walk down there. We'll get some, some goods for the week. And so as two teenage boys would do, we filled our bags rather full with a bunch of junk food. Um, because when basketball was done for the day, we said, we can eat anything, we'll be working out hard enough. And so on the way back, I'm carrying a bag in this arm, and he's carrying a bag in that arm, we're walking down the sidewalk, and these two guys ran up behind us and ran into both of us to startle and, and, and juggle us, you know, so we had dropped stuff. We didn't drop it, but it loosened our, our, our goods that we had. They grabbed those bags and ran on down the sidewalk, and they were gone before we really realized what happened. I mean, we knew that we had been robbed. They didn't pull any knives, they didn't pull any guns, nothing like, but enough to freak two 17-year-old boys out, like, what just happened to us? And I got to tell you, that experience to this day affects sometimes the way I think because of being robbed, I'm more protective. Like, I lock my cars all the time. Part of that is also growing up just outside of Detroit where cars were stolen right out of your driveway in broad daylight sometimes, but you lock your car all the time. Or I'm, all, I'm the one always making sure, is the house locked? Back door locked? Basement door locked? Front door locked? Did we close the garage door? I'm the one who sometimes will start down the neighborhood and turn around and go, did we close that garage door? Let's go double check and make sure it got closed. I'm always thinking about those kinds of things. When I go to a restaurant, if you're in a restaurant with me, I typically typically want to be on the outside of the restaurant where I can be facing towards the front door. I don't want a lot of people behind me. I don't want to be in the middle of a restaurant. I'm thinking, who's behind me? I think a lot of it goes back to the experience of being robbed one time. If I hear a noise in a house, I'm probably the one who's grabbing the baseball bat and I'm going, look, I don't own any guns yet. But in this crazy world, who knows? Maybe that day's coming. But I, I'm the one who grabbed the baseball bat and go looking. Like, I'm going to actually protect our house with the baseball bat, you know? And the guy pulls a gun. What's your bat going to do? No good. You're dead, you know? Um, I get a little protective. You know, who else is protective? Mamas. Mamas are protective. You're going to hurt their baby? You're going to hurt their kid? A mama's coming after you. I think a mama could probably take out a bear if a bear is attacking her child because she's going to get protective. There's something in us that wants to protect our home. There's something in us that wants to protect our family. And it's interesting, our culture today, we applaud people for physically protecting their children. I mean, we send our kid out to get to the, to, just to go to the mailbox, and we put elbow pads on them and knees pads on them, a bike helmet on them, make sure they're okay. 
We send them out to the playground. We're going to bubble wrap that child in playground. I mean, before they go to the playground. All kinds of ways to protect our children. We stand up and protect our children from a teacher or a coach who we think isn't treating them fairly. When I was a kid, my mom and dad said, what does the teacher said? You got whipping there, you're going to whip it when you get home. Now, <laughs> you remember those days. <laughs> now, um, now many times us as parents will stand up and say, now why did you correct my kid for doing that? Why did you correct my kid for saying that? Did they, were they really wrong and we got to go meet with that teacher or the coach? However, it's interesting in our culture that when we try to protect their heart or their morals, often you're called an overprotective parent. Oh, you got to let them grow up. I mean, we applaud for protecting them physically, but people make fun of you. Sometimes you try to protect them morally. Well, that's not going to hurt them. They've got to grow up at some time. They've got to mature. Quit being so overprotective. We're going to find that God actually calls us to protect not only their physical nature, but the purity of their heart. I believe we have a spiritual enemy who is roaming around looking to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what we're told in the book of John. And that, that enemy wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your families. And he'll do everything he can. Jesus gives us a very specific beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what he says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now the word heart in the Greek language is actually the word cardio. We get our word cardiac from that word. Jesus was using it as a metaphor. He wasn't saying blessed are those that have a pure organ that pumps blood through its veins. It's not what he was saying. He was talking in a metaphoric language. He was using a metaphor to describe the emotions and describe the feelings and the inner self, knowing that everything comes from the heart. His message, though, was much broader than where I want to go with it today. When he said, blessed would appear in art, he was talking about attitudes and motives and thoughts towards others. He was talking about a lot more than what I'm actually going to cover. For our purposes today, I want to narrow that scope down and talk about moral purity, spiritual purity, and how that affects our homes. Blessed are the pure in heart. It says, for what will happen? They will what? They will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Do you want to see God work in your family today? Do you want to see a life that is growing in your family? In our world today, it's very common for us to believe, believe of ourselves and of other people that, Oh, she has a good heart. Oh, he has a good heart. You're a single young lady dating a guy who's not a Christian, but we say, oh, he has a really good heart. He has a really fine heart. The reality is, although that's a common saying, it's simply not true of any of us. Look what the Scripture teaches. See, we need to understand that without Christ, there is no such thing as a pure heart. Without Jesus, there's no such thing. Without Christ doing heart surgery on us, there is no such thing in any of us as a pure, good heart. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. It is deceitful. It lies to us. It deceives us. Who can possibly even understand it? God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. The heart is deceitful above all things, so much so that we don't even know what sometimes our own heart is leading us and getting us to do. The Apostle Paul said something profound to the believers in Ephesus. He said this of those who were Gentiles who had drifted from their faith, who were non-believers. In Ephesians 4, he said, They are darkened in their understanding, and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They are darkened in their understandings. They're separated from the life that God wants them to have because of their ignorance. They don't even realize it because their hearts have grown hard to the things that matter most, that they're darkened in their understanding. 
Now, I'm sure some of you have had this experience before. You're running late getting to the movie theater, and you grab your popcorn and spend your $20 on popcorn and $5 on a soda, and you go into the movie theater, and as soon as you open that door and you shoot down that hallway a little bit, you're like, oh, i got to stop. I can't see anything, and i got to save my $25 investment. And so you stop, right, and it's dark. And all of a sudden, what happens? About 15 seconds, maybe 20, 25 seconds, your eyes start to adjust. And you're like, okay, now I can see. I can see people. I can see rows. I can get to my seat. I feel confident in that. And so then you move and you find your seat. Could it be? That in most of our homes, that our families that we love are separated from the life that God, of God because we have been darkened in our understanding and we're in that state of being blinded because of our ignorance and our hearts have been hardened and we don't even recognize that we're missing seeing the goodness of God because we've allowed so much impurity into our families and we don't even know it. We're walking in that darkness, but because we're in darkness, we're starting to go, well, I can see enough to get where I need to go but we're actually traveling around in darkness. He goes on to say in verse 19, having lost. Having lost what? All sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. These are, there are a few verses that might describe our culture today, but I'd say this is one stinking good one. I mean, that describes our culture. Having lost all sensitivity, our culture is giving itself over to all sorts of sensuality and indulging in every kind of impurity. In our lives, and our families, we love them. We want to protect them. We want to guard our marriage. We want to protect our next generation. I mean, we would never, ever think of taking a baby bottle and filling it with poison and holding our baby and saying, here you go, honey. You need to drink this down. This is good stuff for you. Go ahead and drink it. We would never tell our kids who are going to go swimming, we know there's a pool of acids. Go ahead, jump in, Johnny. That's great. Go for it. Jump in there. You're going to have a lot of fun. We would never do that. And yet we send our 15-year-old daughters on some car date with a boy who has more hormones than he does brains and say, go have fun. Amen. That's what we do. We send them out and say, that's wonderful stuff. We'll take our 14-year-old boy. And we'll give them unlimited access to a mobile device where they can get to anything and everything that they could ever imagine that we never want them to see, and we call that absolutely normal. And then we pay for it. And we say, yeah, that's okay, go ahead. That's fine. With no protections, no guarding, no, no teaching them. We take our hard-earned money and we pay to be entertained by things that honestly must break the heart of God, and that's absolutely and completely normal in our world today. We say, yeah, that's good stuff. Could it be that one of the reasons our homes are lacking life or lacking being blessed is because our hearts have been hardened because of the culture we live in? We've been darkened in our understanding without even knowing it. We've lost all sensitivity, and now we're indulging in every kind of evil. And we say, well, that's just kind of normal. What's going to be different in our lives? If you missed last week, we had a key thought that I introduced to you, and we're going to carry it throughout this series, and we'll come back to it over and over. You may remember it, but we need to have a mind shift, a different way of thinking, and here's what's going to be. We are not just a Christian family. Some people say, well, I'm a Christian family. We're a Christian family. No, we don't want to be just a Christian family, but we want to be a Christ-centered home. Now you say, what's the difference in that? Doesn't it sound very similar, Christian family, Christ-centered home? No, because there's about 80-some-odd percent of people in America who would say, well, we're a Christian family. 
But when you look at the way we live, you would not say 80-some percent of people are living as a Christ-centered home. When we say, I want to have a Christ-centered home, what we're saying is, I want God to be first. I want God to be first in my finances. I want God to be first in my life, in my wife's life, in my children's life. I want God to be first in the way we, have, the way we behave, and the way we think, and the way we speak, and the things we watch, and the things we do. We want God to be first in all areas. So we can say we're a Christian family. But if Christ isn't first, then it's not a Christ-centered home. That's exactly what the psalmist asks in Psalm 119. It says, how can a young person say on the path of purity? Now, if you've got kids, or if you're a, a young person in this room, I'm glad to see the junior high students are up here today. The first service had several high school students. If you're a young person, this verse is speaking specifically to you. If you have kids, your job is to help your young people live this out. How in the world, with all the temptations we have in this world, how can we stay on the path of purity? Here's what our culture tells us to do. Our culture says, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. You've got a good heart. Just listen to your heart and follow your heart. Listen to me. That is the stupidest advice anybody can give you. And if somebody ever tells you, just follow your heart, you need to look at them and say, wait a minute, my preacher told me one time that's stupid, bad advice. Because it is. Here's what the Bible says about the heart. I tell you, don't follow it. The heart is wicked, desperately sick, perverse, evil, insane, unclean, deceitful, disloyal, and errant. It's unrepentant, unbelieving, blind, deceived, hardened, proud, greedy, foolish, idolatrous, rebellious, stubborn, and dull. Who wants to follow that? We would be fools to say, I want to follow my heart. I've seen so many married couples in my years of ministry who come and say, we need help. We're struggling. He had an affair. She had an affair. Things are in the pits. Why? Because they said, well, my heart. My heart said, man, he is really hot. My heart said, he really listened to me. My heart said, he had conversation with me. My heart said, she's beautiful. She was drop-dead gorgeous. My heart said, she smelled really good. My heart said, she wasn't like my wife. And she goes, everything that my wife wasn't and everything my wife promised to be, she wasn't it. And so I just followed my heart right into an adulterous relationship that destroyed my marriage. How can a young person keep their way pure? The psalmist says, by living according to your word, I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I love it. That's our prayer. He says, I will live according to your word. I will seek you with all my heart. And then the prayer is, Lord, don't let me stray. Lord, I need your help. I can't do it by myself. Apply this verse to your family. It may say something like this. How can our family stay on the path of purity? Not by following our hearts, but by living according to your word. We will seek you with all of our hearts. God, do not let us stray from your commands. What a prayer for your family. To pray that we will not, not go wayward from following the path of God. Now, for those of you in here who aren't married yet, Maybe you don't have a family now. Maybe you're single. You're kind of maybe kicking back this morning and going, man, I'm glad he's talking to the family. He's not talking to me. And you might be thinking, it doesn't really matter to me because I don't have a family yet, and so I can do whatever I, I want to do, and I'll get things right later. Right now, I can sleep with who I want to sleep with. I can, I can drink what I want to drink. I can smoke what I want to smoke. I will watch whatever I want to watch. I can say what I want to say. I'll do whatever I want to do, but I'll get it right when it matters. I mean, later on when I have a family, I'll get more, sing, more serious. I want to tell you, if you're single and you don't have a family, you're still young, you're still in school, you need to hear, this, hear me on this. What you do today matters. What you do today matters. See, you don't build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. 
And if you choose sin right now, then it's going to come back and affect you later. It will have an impact on your life for a long time. If you want a harvest of righteousness in your family later, you plant seeds of righteousness in the ground right now, today, while you have a chance and while you have the opportunity. And don't walk through pain and suffering that some have experienced because they've never received this bit of wisdom in their younger years. Now they look back and go, I wish I would have heard that when I was 15 or 16 or 18 or 21 or 22 before I ever entered into marriage. How can a young person stay pure? By living according to your word. Can we just acknowledge that perhaps in our homes, our eyes have grown accustomed to the darkness, our hearts have been hardened, and we don't even see the ways that we've let impurity come to our lives? How can we go against the flow, not just as a Christian home, but as a Christ-centered home, truly wanting to raise a generation that puts Christ first and honors Him in every single day, in every single way? How can we practically create a culture of purity in our home. I can give you lots of different thoughts on that, but I want to share three with you. First of all, before I even get into three, let let me remind you, this doesn't happen by accident. You're not going to get married one day and say, honey, man, we're married. Hey, let's have some kids and have two or three kids. And 20 years later go, well, doggone, they're holy. How did that happen? Look at that. They're beautiful. They love Jesus and everything. What did we do? It doesn't just happen by accident you got to plan and prepare. And so the first thing is, you've got to get your own heart right. you got to start with yourself. I don't care if you're 18 or if you're 88. I believe you set the tone for relationships that are around you. You set the tone, and no matter who you are or what age you are, you lead t- toward purity. And when you do that in your life, then you influence others around you. In fact, Solomon said in Proverbs 4, he said, here's some of my best advice. Above everything else, guard your heart, for everything flows from it. Guard it. That's the word of protection. Guard it. When, you, when we're looking at how do we behave, what do we allow in our families, what do we want to be influenced by, what do we want to read, and what do we want to watch, what kind of entertainment do we want to do, what kind of entertainment do we want to have, what kind of friends are we going to allow closest to us, what kinds of things are we going to feed our minds on, what's our thoughts, what are we going to have, how do we decide what's right and what's not right, how do we do that? A lot of people would say, well, let your conscience be your guide. That's another way of saying, listen to your heart. The problem is, Scripture teaches that our consciences are seared. They're seared. In other words, we can't trust our consciences like every, like, just like our heart, because like our hearts, we deceive ourselves. I'll give you an example. When I was 17 years old, that same summer that we were robbed was the same summer we went to CIY. I grew up playing high school basketball, and it was pretty normal, high school basketball, that foul language is accepted on the court. That's just normal. Guys are being guys. Hey, you're a, you're a man now, and so just be yourself. And went to CIY that week, and we were challenged greatly about our Christian character and our Christian uh, behavior, and my friend down the street went with me, and God spoke to me very specifically in two areas. One was about language, and one was about music. But playing high school basketball, I mean, foul mouth, that was okay. But him and I, during that week, said, we got to clean this up. If we're really Christians, then we gotta, we got to stop speaking like this. And so we made an agreement that said, hey, when we're on the court together, if we hear each other, or if we're playing out football in the backyard, whenever we're together, if we hear one another's cuss or foul language come, you, we can haul off and just punch each other. No warning. Just sock you. Yeah, it was, it was a fun way to play basketball. 
And so inevitably, you know, you'd, you'd be playing a game of three-on-three in a driveway. My mom reminded me sometime later, she said, you boys used to cuss so much. I said, what are you, you never heard us out in that driveway all the time. And my mom just kind of let it ride. I don't think she just wanted to ride us on that. And so, you know, I'd get fouled and some language to fly. And then I would all of a sudden, wham, like, what'd you do that for? Well, because you cussed. No, I didn't. And I'm punching him back, you know. Inevitably, though, it started waking us up. Because when you got bruises on your right arm and your left arm and someone's hitting you in the back of the head, you know, you're like, why? It started making a change to realize, you know what, this is not of God. In the area of music, I mean, my music wasn't that bad. Huey Lewis in the news. I mean, we'd pull our cassette tapes out. Some of the kids were like, what's that? Pink Floyd, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I wasn't one of the kids that did a little extra with Pink Floyd, but, you know, we just listened to Pink Floyd. But we'd pull out our CD covers, and we started looking at the words. And started reading the words and started going, oh my goodness, I just thought it was about the beat. I mean, I, I like the song. We like to play hoops to that or have it blasting or washing the car or whatever. And we started really looking at the words and God got all over me and said, get the junk out of your life. And so we threw away every single one of my non-Christian tapes when I was 17 years old. I said, I have to get rid of all of them. Because God was opening my eyes to living in the light, not living in the darkness. But then since then, sometimes things creep back in because you start letting it go and you start going, where's darkness in your life? This sermon this week preparing it, God's been really wrestling. Brian, is there some darkness in your life you need to get rid of? See, when you look at things like music and movies and TV and ask God, God, open my eyes to see what I'm looking at from your perspective. You will be blown away if you're willing to take and pray that. See, you won't believe that you've been paying money to be entertained by sin. I truly believe a lot of us would cancel our TV subscription, Netflix subscriptions, Hulu subscriptions. We'd say, I don't need it because everything I'm watching is probably not of God. But that's what everybody does, right? And if everybody's doing it, I mean, why can't I do that? If everybody in our culture is doing it, then how do I participate? Now, to quote my mom and to actually admit she was right, if your friends are going to play in the middle of Telegraph Road which where I grew up, that was a four-lane road that was 55 miles an hour. If they're going to play in the middle of Telegraph Road, are you going to follow? Just because our culture is doing it means I should do it? I mean, some of you may have said to your kids, if your friends are all jumping off the edge of the cliff, are you going to follow and jump with them? Just because our culture is doing it doesn't mean I should do it? Just because everybody. Now, here's the thing. What some people will say is, is but it's funny. I mean, I know this show is kind of bad, but it is so funny, Brian. You should watch it sometimes. You will crack up. If I told you a sexist joke or a racist joke that was really funny, does it make it right just because it's funny? It doesn't, does it? But we'll say, oh, that's okay. Funny doesn't make wrong right, and funny never makes wrong right. Pray, God, help me to get my heart right. God, start with me. Help me to get my heart right. I guarantee you. Just like me, as all of us have been deceived in some way or another, start praying. If there is conversations that I've had, God, that are impure, convict me of those conversations. God, if I'm thinking things that are impure, convict me of what I'm thinking. If I'm allowing things in my home that are impure, God, convict me. Show me. God, if I'm going to places that are impure, show me that. God, if I have relationships or friendships that take me down more than I bring them up, show me that. If I'm being entertained by things that are wrong to you, God, show me and convict me so much that I want to make a change. Those are prayers that we should start praying in this culture today. God, Help me to get my heart right first. The second thing, this is so important, parent to the heart. Parent to the heart. When you're working with your kids, 
parent to the heart. Most of us, we parent to their actions. In other words, all we want is behavior modification and not heart transformation. But when we enter into life with Jesus, we allow Jesus to work inside of us, He wants to transform us from the inside out. And all through Scripture, in the Old Testament, Samuel was anointed king. He looked at David and First Samuel said, the Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. In fact, Jesus was a fanatic about the heart. In the Old Testament, Scripture taught, don't murder. Well, then what did Jesus do? He talked about the heart and He said, don't even hate. If you've hated, you've committed murder in your heart. And the Old Testament says, do not commit adultery. Jesus taught to the heart. He said, if you look lustfully at a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart. On the outside, they look good, He said. The problem is, the outside of your cup and dish are clean, but the inside is filthy. None of us would go to the cabinet Say, oh, that mug looks really good. Grab that mug down, you pull it down, and go get your coffee cup, and you look inside it before you pour it and notice it's filthy, dirty, or filled with junk. You'd be like, man, i got to get all that out of there because it's going to ruin what I'm going to take in that cup of coffee. Some of us look really good on the outside. God wants to get inside and do a work of cleaning you up. See, if you have a couple of kids, I guarantee you've done this before. One kid does something wrong with the other kid, and you say, go apologize. Fine. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, you stupid idiot. Now, you tell him you're sorry for saying that. Okay, you're not a stupid idiot. I'm sorry. Not really. I mean, we've all been down that road. We're talking about behavior modification. See, if you're really with the heart, then you don't say, oh, oh, that's okay. You stop and you talk about the why. You talk about how you hurt one another and how that, how that affects somebody. Why do you think... When kids turn 18 and want to leave home, they go crazy. Because we have conversations like this, you say, oh, well, can I go to the party, mom or dad? No, you can't go to the party. Fine, I hate you, mom, as you slam the door and they go marching off the room. You say, I don't care, you hate me. No, you want a parent to the heart, you say, let's sit down and talk. What's going inside of you? Why, why are you speaking to me like this? And you talk about the behavior and you say, let's talk about this. What's happening? You're so mad and so angry that when I give you direction, you don't want to receive that direction. Because what happens, they go off to turn 18 and they go crazy because we've been, we've been conforming their outwardly, but their hearts want to do their own thing. If we don't work with their hearts when they're young, when they get older, they're going to go crazy experiencing this life. We parent to the heart. We're working towards purity of the heart. Let me give you a a great resource to help on the how of this. It's a resource that has affected Brian and his parenting. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. If you have children in your home, this is a must-read book. I cannot tell you I agree with everything in it 100%, but it's one of those books that shaped us and said, oh, God, that's what you want us to do. And it brings the Scripture to life to our understanding of parenting. It's a great resource. I think every parent should walk through. You should read it before you even have a child, if you're planning to have children. And then you should read it often and go back to it. First, we're going to get our own heart right. Second thing is we're going to parent to the heart. Number three, which is most important in our homes, is we want Christ to be centered, be the center of our homes. We are going to pursue, we're going to pursue purity of the heart in a perfect way. Pursue perfect purity of the heart. You say, preacher, hold on a minute. There's no way we can be perfect. You are absolutely right. That's why I choose the word pursue. You pursue because we can't achieve it on our own, but with the help of the power of God, we're going to pursue perfect purity. Why perfect? 
Isn't that raising the standard a little high? Because anything less than perfect purity is not purity. Anything less is not purity. We're going to pursue perfect purity of the heart and our homes. Ephesians 5, Paul said, but among you there must not even be a hint, a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint, not a little eensy-weensy bit of impurity. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. Let me ask you some questions. Would committing adultery with three or four other people having sex outside of marriage, would that be a, a hint of sexual morality? I need audience response. Yes, that's, that's immorality. Would sleeping with 75% of the people that you date before you're married, would that be a hint of sexual morality? Yes. Would living together before marriage and saying, hey, let's shack up, let's create our home before we actually say I do, would that be a hint of sexual immorality? Yeah, but our culture says, hey, everybody's doing it. Let me ask you this one. Would looking lustfully at images on a computer screen, be it men or women, because this is growing amongst both populations, looking at images on a computer screen who is not your spouse, looking at it on your phone as you destroy your wife's heart or your husband's heart, would that be a hint of sexual immorality? Absolutely. If some hot girl walks by you in the gym, guys, and you're like, oh my goodness, look at what God created and made, and all of a sudden you fall into worshiping God at the moment and saying, God, you made this wonderful human being. Would that be a hint of sexual immorality? Yeah. And that goes for men and women. Man, look at that guy. Look at that girl. Look how hot they are. Oh, that's a hint. He goes on to say not even a hint of sexual morality over what he said or any kind of impurity. Nothing of greed or whatever because these are improper for God's holy people. The question is, is how much impurity do you want to let in? It's not even a hint. I, I like the story about a kid who wanted to see a bad movie. It was rated PG-13. He was 12 years old, and he went to his mom and said, Mom, I want to go see this movie. Me and my friends are going to go this Saturday. What do you think? Can, can I go to this movie? Well, what's the name of the movie? He tells the movie, Now, honey, that's a PG-13 movie. You know that's filled with some, some stuff that's not proper for you. Oh, but Mom, there's not a lot of bad stuff in it. Just a little bit of bad stuff. Let me think on it for a little bit, she says. He goes off to his room. She thinks on it. She com he comes back. She says, you know what? I'll tell you what. I'll let you go, but I want to make you some brownies to take with you. Okay, that sounds great, Mom. I'll, I'll share those with my friends. And so he takes off and plays. She goes to the backyard and gets a very small spoonful of dog poop and goes and makes the brownies. I don't know if it's true or not. It's a good illustration. Comes back and she says, Honey, I made you some brownies. For you and your friends, oh, that's great, Mom. Hold on, before you leave, let me tell you something, though. What? I put just a little bit of dog poop in there, just a small amount. Mom, that's gross. I don't want to eat those brownies. There's no way I'm going to do that. Well, why, honey? There's just a small amount of it in there. It won't kill you or hurt you. But, Mom, you want to go see a movie has just a, a little bit of filth in it. She says, is there much difference? It's a good lesson. Choose to pursue perfect unity. See, young people, when your friends want to choose to do things that don't honor God, it's time to stand up and say, no, we're going to make a choice that's different. We're going to make a choice that will honor God. We're going to make a choice that, that is right. You've got to choose purity. Dads, it's time to stand up and protect your home. And I've got to be honest, dads, sometimes I see a lot of laziness in us men. 
We leave it all to our wives. It's time for men to get up off the couch and men to lead out and say, you know what, we're going to have a home of purity. We're going to have a home that honors God. We're going to be set the example in our home to have purity in our home. And men, it's time to step up. Moms, I know some of you get tired of fighting and you just give up. You're like, I can't, can't keep wrestling with this and fighting with this. I am worn out. Moms, let me tell you, keep fighting. Keep fighting for purity. It's worth it. It's worth it. You'll see the reward in the end, but it's worth it. Keep fighting. Set your goals high. You know, it's so easy to set low goals. You set a low goal, you'll be sure to hit it. You set a high goal, you might not hit it, but you're going to get higher than being low. You may get close. Set high goals. In our life, in our family, we're going to have high goals of purity. What's your standard to be? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See, when you find purity by the power of God, not just moral purity, but when God starts to change your heart and you stop desiring what you once desired and you start desiring what matters to Him, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Do you want to see God work in your life? Imagine if you see God answering prayers and you see God changing lives of others and you see God making a difference through you. You see God using your spiritual gifts. You see, see and sense the presence of God with you. You see His power at work in your life. You see His goodness following you all the days of your life. You see Him working in all things to bring about good for those who love Him or are called according to His purpose. When you're pure in heart, you can see the power of God in a way that you would never imagine. The prophet Ezekiel God says through him, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone. I'll remove it from you. Some of you, your heart has grown hardened. Your heart has been darkened because of this culture. You say, well, how do I know that? If you're somewhat offended today, you're going, man, Brian, you're really pushing the envelope today. Man, you're really raising the bar today. You're giving some pushback. Like, now, hold on a minute, Brian. I went and saw that movie last night. There's a little bit of bad. It's, yeah, it's okay. No big deal. You're seeing some of that inside of you. Possibly you're dealing with a heart that's become hardened or darkened. I will give you a new heart and remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart the Spirit. Because there's a standard of righteousness that we cannot achieve in our own. It takes the power and goodness of God through Jesus Christ. And that's where we say amen and thank you for the cross. But once you know Jesus, it's supposed to be a life of being transformed. It's supposed to be a life of things being changed. When we seek Him, when we know Him, we're not just a Christ, not just a Christian family. We're a Christ-centered home when we're putting Him first. And suddenly the standard rises and the power of God gives us a new heart and we are different. Blessed are the pure in heart. Father God, we pray today for your Holy Spirit to do heart surgery in all of our lives. God, would you open our eyes? Would you open our minds? Help us to see where our hearts have been leading us astray. Help us to see, Lord, where there's darkness. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see this world from your perspective. Open our ears, Lord, to hear from you. Lord, give us obedience, hearts and minds and spirits to follow you. In all that we do. Lord, this world has a way of just closing in and, and making, making darkness seem like it's light. Father, help us to see the difference between darkness and light. And Lord, help us to run to the light. Help us to pursue purity. Give us a pure heart, O oh God. Create in us that new spirit. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.